It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 677 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I've got a very interesting show lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is Naftali Hoff. Naftali is the president of Impactful Coaching and Consulting. And we're going to be talking about the difference between leadership and management when it comes to sales. Now, before we get to Naftali, I want to talk to you a bit about the sales house. I've been talking about that a lot recently. I created the sales house for the curious and smart B2B sellers. So if you take a pic, just take a moment and picture yourself 10 years into the future. Think about all that you've accomplished. Think about how you have succeeded both in your career and financially. And as you think about that now, write down what you will have needed to have learned to make that future your reality. Because those are things that you're going to learn here in the sales house. I mean, this is, this is not training. This is not just an education, though it is. It's really a movement to learn and succeed in sales on your terms, to become who you want to be. So come invest 10 minutes every day to get just 1% smarter. In doing so, you get unlimited access to me and every bit of sales wisdom I've acquired from my career, as well as access to a roster of other world-class experts sharing their expertise. And you have unlimited access to our live coaching hours, live workshops, and our live in-person meetup. So remember, you don't have to sell alone. The whole Sales House community is here to help. Visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash accelerate. That's thesaleshouse.com forward slash accelerate. And take advantage of our $1 trial offer for the listeners of Accelerate. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Naftali Hoff, executive coach and president of Impactful Coaching and Consulting. And as I mentioned before, we're talking today about the differences between leadership and management and what that means for sales. And we're going to talk a little bit about how we make teams smarter, sales teams. You know, managers are into training, leaders are into educating. So there's differences in styles between managers and leaders and what that means for making their people smarter and more capable. Uh, managers also tend to be more of administrators. And I mean, you see this in sales all the time, people just managing to the metrics where leaders innovate. So when you think about your own selling, are you taking the risk to innovate and to lead your own personal sales process. So anyway, we're going to get into all this with Naftali. So here we go. Naftali, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be with you. Oh, it's great to be with you as well. So um, you're working at, well, where do we find you today? You're, you're in New Jersey? That's correct. Northern New Jersey. Northern New Jersey. Just a, just a stone throw out of New York City. When I look, I'm a little bit of an elevated spot. I look down my block, and there's the Empire State Building and all of the, the Manhattan skyline. <laughs> so I can I can live vicariously as if I'm in Manhattan without having to deal with the tunnel and the traffic. Right. Well, you want to avoid the tunnel, tunnel for sure. Yeah. But but it is like a world away, though. I mean, it's it's surprising. It is. It is. Well, Manhattan is a world unto itself. So I think even if you step a few feet out of you know out of the uh, the confines of, of downtown Manhattan, you're already living in a different world. Yeah. And actually, having grown up on the island, yeah. uh, I can tell you it feels very different. You know, I grew up in northern Manhattan. I felt I grew up downtown, but mm-hmm. not quite in those business areas. It's a different feel. And people are shocked when they hear that anybody lives in Manhattan. But there's actually quite a few folks <laughs> only, that live there. Only 4 million of us that live yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, I was right. trying to tell somebody the other day, it's, uh, I think the population of Manhattan is around 4 million. It's actually increased over the last decade. And <laughs> I said, you know, it is about one half the size of San Francisco in square mileage. Just is to put it, it just, that big comparatively? Yeah, it's 27 square miles in Man- uh-huh. and um, I think San Francisco is 49 square miles. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. it's like 
you know, wrap your eyes around mind around that. There's you know seven hundred fifty thousand people in San Francisco, and that feels hugely crowded. Uh huh. Uh huh. And half the space we've got. You know, oh my! Yeah, because you just don't people. go. You don't go out. You go up. <laughs> you go up. Right. You just go up. Yeah. Yeah. Not from and everywhere you turn. There's another building going up. That's the beauty it, of well, this, it is one of the amazing things. Yeah, I'm sure. Hopefully, we haven't <laughs> driven away the listeners already. But you know, one observation about about Manhattan that is amazing for people that maybe don't go there often is that how it rebuilds itself. Just to your point exactly, I'm constantly uh-huh. amazed at how quickly they tear things down and put up new structures. Yeah, and because it's not like there's vacant lots sitting around, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, when you yeah. see a new skyscraper going up, something else used to be there. It's going up, and it's going up fast, and, and it's frankly, going up fast. Yeah, yeah. not I mean, not fast enough necessarily if you drive up 11th Avenue <laughs> or well, 10th Avenue, I should say. Yeah, if you're on the west um, side, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, yeah, it really is amazing. But I can compare and contrast. I'm in my San Diego office today, and I'm looking at some high rises being built, and they'll put up a high rise in half the time in New York that they do here. I mean, it seems like it takes forever to finish something here and there. I think because you know they want to get the whole thing framed before the winter, so they can work on the interiors. And uh-huh. I'm just always stunned. So yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Urban living. (laughs) Hope people you've stayed with us. We're going to start talking about something interesting now. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. All right. So we're going to talk about the difference between management and leadership, and it's a topic that we've we've talked about on the show many many times, and we keep coming back to it because it's such an important topic, and and so hopefully we'll shed some more light on this today, and and actually shed some light. Excuse me, and some sort of different perspectives as well about about leadership and management. So, because I've been doing a lot of thinking about this relative to the context of how do we how do we make our sales teams smarter? How do we make them better? And and there's you know what I've come up with is you know that, hey, there's a real difference, and I think people are catching on to this as we talk about it, is the difference between educating our people and training our people. Mm-hmm. And as we start looking at the difference between management and leadership, what we find is that people that identify more as managers are more in the training camp, whereas leaders are more visionary and think about, gosh, we really we need to educate our people, you know, this brief, brief, provide this broader base of knowledge and wisdom about what they're doing. And so I want to dig into some of that. And and you had had a nice article you wrote about about this, and and in there I thought it was really interesting. You include some content from Warren Bennis, who's a you know world famous leadership consultant from University of Southern California, about distinctions between leadership and management. And I, and I thought, let's go through some of those because I thought they're really interesting for people to sort of understand. So, first one, maybe you know, obvious, maybe not so obvious. So we talk with the manager administers, the leader innovates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a powerful one. And if I may take a half a step back just sure. for a second, Andy. Uh, first of all, um, this is a focus in, uh, you know, I, I've written articles about it and actually in, in my book as well, Becoming mm-hmm. the New Boss. Uh, and the reason I even got into this, and it's on the front end of the book, is because to me, leadership is really critical in terms of getting or, uh, organizations moving, making things happen, and really providing the vision, if you will, um, to allow people to move forward. So when we talk about administering versus innovating, administering in effect means I'm going to make sure that whatever processes I have in place get done. You know, mm-hmm. things are happening and they're happening the way that they should. There isn't necessarily a lot of thought associated with it, though, of course, you want to tweak and you want to enhance. No good manager is going to leave things alone if they feel they could do things better. But they're operating typically within a within a, pr- a pretty clearly defined paradigm. Yes. And so they're managing within that paradigm. Right. 
On the other hand, innovating by definition means I'm going to look at what I have and I'm going to say, how can I fundamentally look at it differently? Are there ways by which to create something new, something different right. that's going to take this completely in a different direction, maybe with the same outcome or with the same uh, general direction, but you know, I'm going to try to innovate it, create some kind of novelty that's ultimately not for the sake of change, but for the sake of improvement. Yeah. And so it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a different mindset. And by the way, I love the distinction you talked about between education and training. Okay. And I just wanted to, I want to tell you what I think it means. I'm curious to know if this is what you were saying, uh, but the education, you know, oftentimes people think that the two of them are the same. You know, if I educate you, I'm training you, or if I train you, I'm educating you. Right. But the reality is that training to me, now that you mention it, mm-hmm. I'm like picking up on the subtlety of it, training, and again, clarify if this is not what you mean, is about here's your process. Yep. Now go ahead and understand it and do it. Right. Whereas educate means I'm giving you the foundational pieces. I'm giving you the parameters. I'm giving you a sense. What is it that you know we're trying to do here? And what are some skills that you could be developing along the way? And I'm giving you more latitude by which to get this done and get this done in a way that really not only speaks to you, but creates opportunity for fresh perspective. Yeah. That's how I'm understanding it. Yeah, no, you, uh, just full disclosure, people listening, you and I have not talked about this before, but yeah, you nailed it pretty closely. Good. Okay, just want to make sure we're talking the same language here. Yeah, because I Excellent. think that one of the things that, that's a trend that I see happening in sales, and part of the reason I'm really focused on this is, yeah, as the training now is so focused on process and methods uh-huh. that that we're forgetting about the individual. And especially in, in some of our tech sectors, this is more prevalent. And so what happens is, to this point really about manager administers and leaders innovate, is we have frontline managers that are all about the process and the metrics. Mm-hmm. And it's not about how do I optimize the unique strengths and skills of the people doing the work in order for yeah. them to become more productive. Instead, right. what I what I emphasize is that they adhere to the process. And mm-hmm. I find that find it, always amusing and interesting is that in those sectors, oftentimes in tech, where the companies, these great companies are being created, they're dedicated to disrupting markets, is they operate with the most rigid compliance-based processes. <laughs> I hear, wow. Right? And it's, yeah. and it's like, uh, okay, do you see the disconnect here? Yeah, yeah there's we need, a disconnect to that, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, you absolutely get it right on education. I think the other part, specifically for sales, in the education versus training, is you you nailed it. Damn, training's about processes, about methods, but sales is still about people, right? Mm-hmm. It's one person talking to another person, and what we don't educate our people about are the fundamental skills required to make that connection, to engage somebody's interest, to inspire them to take action, to build trust, to you know those human to human aspects. We're not and that's going to look different for every person. That's a part of it, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you because know, if I walk you through a cookie-cutter training and you're wired, you know, we, we, we know our personalities are different. We know that the way we engage is different. Our backgrounds are different. The commonalities are different. So if we're giving people the parameters, the framework, the, the sense of this is what good sales includes but is not limited to, and then we give people the, the ability to personalize it, make those individual mm-hmm. connections, then they could really thrive. Well, right. And this is not what we're doing, unfortunately. And you think about it, to your point, is let's, I mean, at one point, I think there's like 5 million salespeople in the United States, business to business salespeople. Uh, let's just use that as a number, 5 million. And maybe there's a million. We'll take a million, just for make the math simple. 
But the million could be selling to 5 million customers. And everybody, the 5 million customers and the 1 million salespeople, they all have unique personalities. So when you bring them together, how many different possible permutations are there? I mean, somebody calculated, I was talking to recently, it was quadrillions of possibilities, right? So how do you squeeze those into one process? It's impossible. It's impossible. This is what we're trying to do. And besides, you know, if you're a salesperson, you're out in the field, you want to be able to own your process. You know, at the beginning, when you don't really have comfort, clarity, experience, all of these kinds of things, the confidence that you've Mm -hmm. succeeded. So you want a lot of guidance. But over time, you want to be able to own the process and you want to know what are the best practices that research says works for people. And then how do you personalize it? Exactly. You know, it's like when I teach about delegation, which I also talk about in the book, you know, you don't give over, so to speak, projects to the same, to all these different people in the same kind of way. There are a lot of variable variables at play, the experience of the individual, Mm -hmm. you know, what they've already, what they've, what, what skills they presently possess, the circumstances in which the situation is occurring. There's so many things you can't just say, oh, here are the five ways to delegate. And you go ahead and as a result, you kind of like package it and hand it (laughs) off to people. It works differently in every situation. And I think that what we've, in our desire to scale, you talked about disruption, but Mm -hmm. scaling is a similar dynamic. We want to do so much for so many people that we oftentimes forget about the personal component. And I think that really, we have to bring our leaders back to that time and again, how do I make this work for this person? Because one of the biggest issues that not just salespeople, but really everybody in America is the best, and we have it really bad, is in the area of workplace engagement, mm-hmm. right? I'm not engaged if the work doesn't speak to me and the people around me don't really speak to me. So I need as a leader to really ramp up on engagement because if I got my people engaged, if they're really coming to work ex- enthused about what they're doing, they're giving me their all, I'm going to get so much more out of it. And so that's yeah. also part of this piece that we have to be thinking about. Right, and I think that this whole idea of investing in people as individuals, and this is to me what education does versus training, it could be very significant on that, right? Mm-hmm. Is I think that you know there are some companies out there, and I've interviewed entrepreneurs that that are very conscientious about not training their people, but educating their people, right? Yeah. They set aside time during the work day where mm-hmm. their work stops and they all like they have like corporate wide book clubs, right? They all read the same book. 20 mm-hmm. minutes, 20 minutes every day. Um yeah, their, their employee retention, their engagement levels are really high. I could imagine. Right? And yeah. because, first of all, the person thinks, well, God, these, A, they care about me. Uh-huh. Two is we're in this together, right? We're all yep. learning the stuff together. So there's an engagement level. It's such a simple thing. And, and I've run programs like that for clients. And, mm-hmm. and actually, I was talking about it to a, a group last night here in San Diego. But oftentimes when I talk about it, the first response you get from a manager is, well, we don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, we don't have time for that. And like, I have a little spreadsheet I you know, put together with the math to say, well, actually, you've got plenty of time for this. But, yeah. but you know, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, yeah. if you're a manager and you're just uh-huh. administering, well, that doesn't fit my process. You know, if I do time yeah. for that, I don't have for my process. My metrics suffer. I, I've encountered this all the time, Andy. You know, my, in full disclosure, my background is in education. So, when I, when I do, let's say, for example, a professional development for uh, any type of institution, frankly, a couple of things really jump out at me. Number one, and I'll come back to this main point in just a second, sure. I find that more and more folks are really focused on soft skills. Folks really want to see how they can connect better with people, 
mm-hmm. how they can communicate more effectively. We've moved away in a good way. I think this is fantastic. Um, because, you know, yes, we need to be, if you're in a school, you need to know your instruction. If you're in work, you need to know your hard skills, whatever those are. But at the same time, there are these transferable skills, but more importantly, these interconnecting skills Mm -hmm. that we need to really develop as leaders because that's what keeps people, especially our millennials and the younger people who are, who are funneling into our workplaces, they want to feel like they're making a difference. They want to feel like mm-hmm. they have a place that they are part of, that the culture speaks to them, and you need to be able to invest in that. And that, I think, is really, really critical. Yeah. On the other hand, and I don't want to, you're, you're welcome to respond, but I don't want to forget this other point <laughs> if I can, Go ahead. is that what's fascinating to me is that when you have a shortage of some kind, a, a perception of scarcity, whether that's financial, time, or anything else, the first thing I find that goes are what people perceive to be the non-core. Mm-hmm. So it may be spending time building relationships. It may be bringing a speaker to educate us. It may be these kinds of things. And the core stuff, you know, making sure that everybody gets paid and making sure that we don't, you know, keep the lights on, whatever these kinds of things, those take priority. And I get it. But the reality is we have to always remember that we have, we're playing a long game here. And if you mm-hmm. want to keep people and you want to keep them happy, you want to get the most out of them. We can't be thinking to ourselves, well, I don't have time for this and I don't have the money for this. It may not be easy, but if it's a priority, you'll find a way. And that I think is really critical because if people aren't thinking in such terms, then it's easy to sort of push it to the back burner because there's always an excuse. Time, for mm-hmm. example, is always an excuse. Right. I just want to book for understaffed leaders. We're all understaffed. If not literally, then at least in our mind, you know, we always want somebody else to take something off exactly. of our plate. That's just the way we are. So if we're making excuses like that, we're never going to get the most out of ourselves and our teams. But if we prioritize and we understand what's really, really critical and what my role is as, in the, as, as a leader to facilitate the growth of everyone around me and keep them focused on what's really important, then you're going to thrive. Yeah, no well, what the, yeah. Right. Well, I think one of the conundrums we face, and this is certainly true in sales and especially as we see sales migrate more to inside sales and so on, is, is that there's this perception that technology can take the place of the personal interaction. And and so I don't think we're we're getting the exposure, giving the exposure to certainly the newer cohorts coming into the sales force of the importance of, hey, your job really, when you think about it, it's not to sell something. That's an outcome, right? What has to happen before you can sell something? Well, you have to form this relationship with another person. And and there's actually, you know, it's interesting, been pushback on LinkedIn from people saying, oh, relationships, you don't need those, blah, 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 which is dead really? wrong. Oh, yeah, dead interesting. wrong. Dead I didn't wrong. know that. Okay. Dead wrong. And so, yeah, really your job, you're in sales, your job is to form a relationship because nothing happens yeah. until you have that working relationship with, with the buyer. And, yeah, we're not, we're underserving that population of, of newer and less experienced sellers by not giving them this education about how these things happen and how to make it happen, how to connect, how to engage, how to inspire, how to build trust. Um, it's, it's not they're not interested in learning. We're just not, you know, unless they're investing themselves. Sure. And, it, and, it's, and that's, that's part of the issue as well, right, is, is having people sort of the motivation, the growth mindset, which you and I were chatting about before we started recording. Yeah. To open yourself up to all these possibilities, to have the the motive, internal motivation to do that, but absent that, we should be doing it at work as well. I mean, sure. there's, there's always been this assumption that I think with a lot of the soft skills is yeah, you learn that on your own. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll teach you the hard skills here at work, but the, it's long, true. the soft stuff, yeah, go out, read a book at home and so on. And, and I don't disagree that people should be investing some of their own time, but we need to invest work time to teach these. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes you actually have to be able to unlearn and relearn, especially yes. if we're talking about our digital natives. Right. You know, if you're growing up with technology in your hand, on your hip, whatever metaphor you want to use, if you think that engagement by definition means liking and responding to whatever post you're talking about, that's all fine and good potentially on a on a social level, interacting with people, let's call it superficially. But if you want to go deeper with somebody, if you want to really form meaningful connections with them, you have to be able to pick up the phone, to meet them in person, to engage with them in a way where they're seeing your nonverbals. They're picking mm-hmm. up on all aspects of who you are and how you connect. And oftentimes we forget about it because we've been raised now in a society where we feel that if I'm present online, that's good enough. And I just don't think that in most cases, if I'm a buyer, I want to buy from somebody who I trust. I want to buy from somebody who has my back. I want to buy from somebody who's not going to disappear in in three months from now and is going to really stand behind their service. And the only way in most cases for me to really feel that you are that person is for me to get to know you beyond your screen. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that these are so important. We have to educate, like you talked about, to get people to understand that it may be good, again, for this type of thing, but would you really want a relationship with somebody only predicated on these types of interactions? And when you frame the questions this way, it gets people thinking. Well, not, absolutely. But I think even within the, the digital world that we operate in, is is it's lacking, right? I mm-hmm. mean, because... Yeah, it'd be great to be face-to-face with people, and sometimes it's just not possible as part of the, the selling That's process. True. But doing something like we're doing here, uh, people listening on the podcast may not know that you know, Naftali and I are looking at each other via Zoom, uh-huh. is, is you, know, you can still build the relationships this way. There's still certain fundamentals that, that exist. And you know, it's, the thing that's sort of frustrating is it's really so simple. Mm-hmm. It was really simple. And given that it's so simple, it's something that we should spend more time communicating with people the basics. And agree. Yeah, I I think of a quote that I'm just going to paraphrase it because I don't remember precisely, but I included in a newsletter I'd recently written uh, after the passing of Anthony Bourdain. I I recalled an article I kept of his from years ago in an interview that had been done of him in the New York Times. And and there's this paragraph here that just jumped out. And, and he said, you know, what I do is not complicated. He said, what I do is I basically I show up and I show an interest in another person. There you go. And if you do that, then they'll open up and interesting things happen. I was about to say, what I have found to be such a difference maker in engaging with clients and getting people to work with me in coaching or other capacities, it's just a genuine curiosity. Mm-hmm. When you ask people, what are you up to? What are your challenges? What's working? What isn't? And you really get to know them. Not only do they feel that you're connecting with them, but then you could speak a language that resolves their issues. You know better what's bothering them, and you can start to provide solutions. And that's really what sales ultimately is all about. Yeah, so I think that's great. Yeah, people ask, well, how do I make myself interesting? It's like, well, be interested in somebody else. That's right. And You're familiar, thing. I'm sure, with the, with the story of Dale Carnegie, yeah. where he's there with the botanist, I think it was, and he's listening. He, well, there, there are probably many stories, yeah. but the one I'm 
speaking of in in in, uh, in the book in Helen Friends and Influence yeah. People. He talks about how he's having a conversation at some evening event. I'd like to say the person he was he was talking to was a botanist, but I'm not positive. And the person probably occupied 95 percent of the uh, of the airtime between right. the two of them, if not more. And he just listened and perhaps nodded an occasional response here or there. And this person, when they were done, turns to a third person and says about Carnegie, that guy is a great conversation. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's and a way to practice, a simple way to practice this. And I had gotten this from another guest on my show, uh, Mark Robert, who had been a, one of the original execs at, at HubSpot. And he practices this where he says, you know, he'll go to a social event or a networking event and he'll see... He'll meet, see somebody who's you know, interested in meeting that he doesn't know. He'll walk up to him and he'll see how many questions he can ask of the other person before he has to say something about himself. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I put a recent challenge on uh, LinkedIn uh, based off of a book that I was reading called The Prosperous Coach, which I think has been you know, really transformative for me. Mm-hmm. And one point there that I thought was very interesting is that if I could remove everything from your LinkedIn profile except for your name and your picture, would people be able to determine what it is that you do just based on the conversations that you have and the content that you share right? and things like that? So this is sort of the opposite of it. Can I, you know, can I really get to know you without having to share anything about myself? And at the same time, it gives that person a real opportunity to feel like, you know, that they're connecting, building that rapport. Mm-hmm. And this has to happen, not just on the business level, but on the personal level, Again, a skill we don't emphasize enough is is we are selling to people. We're not selling to personas. You know, that's mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, so this is, they fit this persona. That's right, but they are a person, mm-hmm. and we have to treat them as such and treat them individually, and learn about them as a person. Even again, we're not becoming friends necessarily. It's just what's important to you. And I tell a story about a, a client I had uh, back early in my career that taught me this lesson. Is is I knew the guy was going to buy from me, and he was jumping near the end of his career. And I think he was sort of mentoring me a little mm-hmm. bit, and mm-hmm. he saw something he liked in me, and and uh, been a very successful business owner. And he's looking to buy a computer system for his company, but you know, I just couldn't get the the deal done. And I thought we had a pretty good relationship, but yeah, you know, every time you know, I'd go to meet him, he'd bring me into his office, he had plenty of time for me, he'd talk about all sorts, all sorts of things, none of it really about work. And But you know, he just wouldn't take that last step. And I knew something was holding him back, right? He wouldn't, wouldn't give me the order. So right. finally, my boss was threatening to go with me on a call, which I found always embarrassing, right, to close a deal. So, uh-huh. so I said, no, no, I got it, I got it, he'll go out there. So I'm, finally, it dawns on me, I'm sitting across from him on his desk, and and it's just like we always were. And arrayed on his desk was all these pictures of his kids, grandkids, excuse me, uh, and various you know, soccer uniforms and team uniforms and so on. And then finally, it's just like, oh, I'm so stupid. It's like, ask about the kids. I walked away with the order, right? He was just, he was teaching me a lesson, which was a valuable lesson. I've always you know, kept in mind. I was real early in my career. It's like, you know, you can't always be about business. It's, you know, it's got to yeah. be about the personal as well. And you got to make that connection. And yeah, just ask about his great. Well, we're very anxious. You know, as salespeople in particular, you want to just go in and, and get those numbers and do what you're hired to do. And we need to really think about the process that leads to that sale. 
really like we're talking about getting that relationship strong, getting people to really think that you can provide and that you're the person that they want to do business with. And when you're there, you're in a good spot. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of good things happen then. That's for sure. <laughs> a lot of good things happen. But kind of this, getting back to our topic, education and training, is that yeah, some of this you have to learn on your own. You learn through experience, but some you just you got to pick up a book and you got to read. Yes. And so I was speaking to this group last night, uh, not roughly thirty people, and I start off by saying, okay, well, raise your hands if if you've read a book in the last thirty days. Mm-hmm. And I think. Yeah, maybe a third of the people had read a book. And I said, okay, well, now the second question is, how many have read a book on sales? And this was a sales group, right? Mm-hmm. I think we had six six or seven out of out of 30. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah, this is how you learn, right? This, is, this, is, this was sort of illustrative of, of the problem we have that we're trying to, I think that we need to bridge is that, granted, not everybody's going to be as motivated and so on, but this was a group they were attending an event because they were motivated, right? They were interested in learning, and yet they weren't even still investing in themselves the way they really needed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've I found a way around that because oh, good. You know, sitting, sitting there with a book is tough sometimes. You know, depending on what you have, if you got a lot of demands professionally and otherwise. And uh, living in the New York area, I do have lengthy commutes. Mm-hmm. Time, uh, I have found Audible to really be a lifesaver for me. Right, I get, I get. I, it's maybe not quite the same as opening up a book in many respects. And I do try to read the conventional book as well. It's not because I don't believe in the quality of a book, but I also try to be practical and pragmatic with my realities. I listen, I re-listen. I'll often stop the car, or stop what I'm doing, jot down some notes. Mm-hmm. But at least it's a way by which I even exercise. My family makes fun of me. I used to do it. I used to do it to TED Talks and these kinds of things. But now I listen to books, and what I can I can still follow all of the exercise regimens. I know the deal. I don't need to hear them telling me to breathe or to walk mm. left or step right. For me, it works. You know, other people may feel they need to be fully in lockstep with with an exercise workout. That's fine. But wherever you can take some time to to pipe in some good content listening to podcasts like this one, you know, getting your, getting your sales hacks and these kinds of things. All of these are great ways to take advantage of situations and time that you have, but always be, I know in sales, it's about ABC, always be closing, right? It's gotta no. be always be, it's all gotta be, always be learning. Always be learning. Um, always be learning. That's gotta be the key because even if you think you know everything, it constantly changes and research is new. I know we were talking, for example, I don't know if we want to get into this right now, but before our conversation, we talked about following your passion right. and what research now is telling us about that. So there's always something new that we could be learning. And if we don't have the mindset, then we're never going to get there. <laughs> right. Not to leave people hanging, but the new research says, yeah, don't, don't follow your passion. <laughs> Basically. Not fully. Not, not fully, right. 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 Yeah, the, we don't want you to do something you hate. But, well, it's not that. What 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 the research is showing is those people who are so passionate say, well, "Yeah, follow the advice, find your passion." Is curiously end up being less curious, less motivated because they think the passion owes them something at the end of the day, right? I've invested everything in this. I'm going to get everything I require out of it as opposed to being more open-minded, more broad-minded, more growth-oriented, the growth mindset they talk about, where you're exposing yourself to a lot of different you know sources of knowledge, let's say. And that then opens you up to opportunities that you would not have considered otherwise. 
Yeah. And if I could add to that, one thing that I thought about that article that was really neat is that you actually could have different passions. Yeah. In other words, your passion itself could change. We think we're passionate about X and we very well may be, but there are probably other things we could be passionate about too if we ever just were to learn about them, practice them, become comfortable with them, and just enjoy doing it. Well, I think that this is sort of the last last thing we have time to talk about, but it's it's and this is why I stress to people. And I when I was talking to this group last night, I said, Yeah, I've got two really most valuable tips I can give you about how to become successful in sales. But the first one was read widely. You know, don't don't just focus on sales, you know, become a polymath, if you will. And mm-hmm. and the reason being is is I can look back on my career and the experiences I had and I had a very successful career in sales for starting my company and and selling all over the world. And it was the things I knew outside of of work that really helped me form the connections with other people. You know, the ability to understand what they were interested in, having some some knowledge. Sure. Right. And I'm a huge believer in the expression from Thomas Huxley is that, you know, you should try to learn something about everything and everything about something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm and mm-hmm. And I, and I think this is a part that really gets overlooked is, is, fine, you want to spend 20 minutes a day on your personal time reading, sure, read a sales book, that'd be great, but yeah, read a book about something else that interests you. Sure. Get a feel of what's going on in the world, you know, and know what people's interests are outside of, uh, and oftentimes that's your entry point. It is your entry point. And, yeah, for and sure. to your point earlier, is the world's changing so so quickly. I mean, one of the books I'm, I just, in the process of finishing up, by a guy named David Reich uh, called How We Got Here, mm-hmm. um, which is all about how fundamentally everything we thought we knew 10 years ago about uh, the human migration out of Africa and settling the rest of the world is basically wrong, right? right? Because all the recent advances in technology enable the genetic decoding and work we've got in genomics. You know, we can now extract DNA samples from things we could never could before and decode the DNA. It's showing us that, yeah, we were completely wrong. Right? The wow. human movement was completely different. You know, so that's that's one field. I mean, think about all the other fields that we're sources of knowledge we thought we learned 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, time to update a lot of that knowledge. That's right. So all right. Well, Naftali, unfortunately we've run out of time, but we didn't really talk about what we were going to talk about, but it's still fun nonetheless. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, we got a little off script there, but uh, to me, some of those are the best conversations. Well, just give us an opportunity to have you come back on and we'll do this again sometime. Fantastic. It was a real pleasure. Well, ask, tell people before you go, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Absolutely, Andy. Thank you so very much. You can find me on my website, impactfulcoaching.com. Uh, you can download the ebook, uh, the, the ebook I talked about before, get access to Becoming the New Boss, my book. Um, and find all the contact information. Find me on social media as well. The link's on my website. Excellent. All right, Naftali, thank you, and we'll talk to you again soon. You got it. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank my guest, Naftali Hoff. Join me again next week as I welcome John Asher to Accelerate. John and I are going to talk about John's five critical success factors for sales. Make sure you join us for that. Before you go, I want to tell you also about an upcoming webinar, Sales House webinar on how to become a sales mentor. It's next Thursday, September 20th at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Again, how to become a sales mentor. The question is really, do you know the difference between managing, coaching, and mentoring salespeople? 
Well, you should, because that could make the difference for you and make the difference for your team. So you want to join me next Thursday to learn all about how to become the sales mentor your sales reps need. To register, go to thesaleshouse.com forward slash sales mentor. That's thesaleshouse.com forward slash sales mentor. So, again, that was it for the week. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Until next week, good selling, everyone.